Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey everyone and welcome to Real Life Real Crime Daily for Wednesday, January 25th. I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Good morning, guys. Good morning, sir. How Good are you? morning, we Mike. Doing, we doing okay today? We're doing, doing great. Doing living large. A lot of crime going on in the say, world. Enough, yep. uh, enough, <laughs> we enough always, crime out there for always you have job security on this point, right? <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, well, before we get into some of the incredible news stories that are out there, I want to circle back on stories we've been covering over the last few episodes. The first one I want to revisit is our six-year-old Virginia boy who shot his teacher. Love. You guys remember yes. that, uh, yeah. that story? Okay, well, more is coming out about what was happening in the school prior to the day that he came in and uh, shot the teacher and, uh, and, and pointing some, some fingers at administrators who uh, may not have done everything that they should have done to protect the teacher and protect to other students. The, to say the least. Yes. So— the six-year-old boy who shot his teacher had previously expressed hatred for another teacher whom he threatened. He wrote a note to that teacher. This was well before the shooting incident. And in the note, he informed that teacher that he hated her and wanted to kill her by setting her on fire. Okay, okay. before you go any further, when I was in that grade, uh, my parents actually made a paddle just for my teachers to use on me. And <laughs> I deserved every lick he got. Not so surprised. This, this dude needed a paddle. Yeah, and I'll, I'll even expand on that point just to say, if you'll go back to the other episode, we were the initial episode we recorded on this, one of the major issues that I had was the fact that they supposedly searched a book bag right, right. and couldn't find a dead gun. I gun. see that video. So... You know, what this update did for me was it just kind of verified the stupidity of not only the school, but we're going to get into some things that were even more shocking that we found out with this case. Yeah. Yes. So that teacher that received the threat about being set on fire went to administrators at that Richneck Elementary School in Newport News, Virginia, 
And she was told to drop it. Drop it. She was told to drop it by the administrators. This is according to the Washington Post. That's that 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 is uh, it's bad in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, mm. yeah. So so we know that sometime after this, he shot his first grade teacher, Abigail Zwerner. We've talked about uh, Zwerner and uh, uh, and her condition. And Zwerner repeatedly asked administrators for help with the boy who was known to throw chairs in the classroom Paddle. and other. Uh, uh, Paddle. And, <laughs> he should have paddled his ass when he threw a chair and he went and not got this far. That doesn't happen anymore. I know it doesn't. <laughs> this was probably what's wrong with Exactly. Well, so it's clear that school officials dismissed two separate accounts, two separate teachers about uh, the disturbing behavior of this kid. Lawsuit. Now, and not only did they dismiss those accounts, there was even complaints. They would get on like Zoom and discuss, you know, issues and teachers would get in these chat sessions and, and this particular child, and I want to preface this with, look, he's six years old. His brain is far from being developed. Right, right. And so I don't hold him wholly even responsible for what he did at six years old. We've all had six yeah, years old. Somebody should have corrected that. So, right. And, um, but it was common knowledge that this kid was a major behavior problem well before this incident took place. So my issue, uh, you know, goes back to the beginning. What, when you have a, a child with this many complaints about being a behavioral issue, and you, you know, someone says he's he has a gun in his book sack, or we think he does. How do you miss the gun? It shocks me. You should have double checked him after he told his other teacher he's going to set her on fire. It shouldn't have been at school at that point, right? Period. Teachers had uh, participated in these regular chat sessions with the superintendent and claimed in those sessions that Zwerner, the one, uh, the teacher that was shot, repeatedly raised alarms about. This kid's behavior and asked for help dealing with him through the uh, the school year, and uh, she asked several times. Other teachers chimed in, and uh, school administrators ignored those concerns about the six year old's conduct, claiming the school was not equipped to provide proper care for him. At some point, looking at some point. Somebody needed to realize that they either needed to get this kid out of the school and put him somewhere else or put uh, some very specific measures in place uh, to uh, try and control his behavior. At least watch him. At least shake him down. Minimum. And and believe it or not, uh, the mother and father, there was actually a kind of an order or a care plan where they had to attend school uh, with the child. It just so happened that this particular day they did not. Um, and it goes back to, you know, initially I'm like, you kind of have to blame the parents because he got his hand on a gun. But part of me was like, you know, giving them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they didn't know that he had the gun in his book sack. Here's the thing. I didn't realize the kid was, a, you know, practically a little Charles Manson here and, and the worst kid in school. 
and it is so bad, in fact, that his parents were attending class with him. You should have never had a gun. Obviously, your child, and I feel bad for this child, but obviously this child had major issues. Right. You, the, How could you not be cognizant of that? Right. It's, it's shocking uh, to me. The, yeah, I, I will go on record saying that this is probably the first six-year-old anybody's ever had, you know, threatening to set their teachers on fire and throwing chairs and their parents going to school with them. And certainly, as we know, shot his teacher. I mean, just yeah, whole bunch of new policies and procedures will come out because of this boy. Well, the family issued their own statement, the, the boy's family saying that their six-year-old was, quote-unquote, under a care plan, as Jim just said, that included his mother or father attending school with him and accompanying him to class every day. But for some reason, which we don't know yet, hasn't come out in any of the news reports, stopped the week of the shooting. So I don't know whether there was some sort of declaration that this was no longer necessary or there was some kind of conflict uh, scheduling-wise where the parents couldn't do it that particular week. They went on to say, we will regret our absence on this day for the rest of our lives. Yeah. I think I we all agree they will. probably will. Yeah, yeah and it, there's no excuse when you have a child with a behavior problem that major to even have a gun that thing should have been locked up behind lock and key with a pass password protected and everything else. I can't wrap my mind around. I agree with you on that, and I'm not one for lawsuits. But this teacher, I hope the school has a big ass insurance policy because she deserves every penny she's going to get. One hundred for sure. Second update: uh, We're going to revisit our criminal mastermind Brian Walsh and his still missing wife, yeah. Anna. Uh, you guys will remember this uh, this story, this incredible story of uh, of the woman who disappeared uh, on uh, New Year's Eve, and the elaborate tale her uh, her husband Brian Walsh told of uh, of her uh, of her disappearance. Well, last Wednesday he appeared for his arraignment, and the charges at the arraignment were murder and illegally disinterring or moving a body. So those are the two charges. He pled not guilty to those charges. And uh, uh, prosecutor Lynn Beland gave quite a statement in, uh, in the courtroom uh, that, that all begins with, rather than seeking a divorce, Brian Walsh dismembered Anna Walsh and discarded her body. So on the list of options you have to uh, separate your, uh, from, your, from your spouse, a divorce or uh, – weren't there some other choices between uh, divorce and the uh, divorce and uh, dismemberment and uh, discarding well, of the body? I think – I'm not trying to make light of it, but it really comes down to economics for him. He didn't want to pay a divorce attorney and alimony and all that, so he just killed her and cut her up. I don't know why this story doesn't have more national coverage than it does. I mean, but we've covered it and everything from him lying about, oh, she just left at midnight or whatever. She had to go into work and come on, man. 
that's a real living human being. His wife, his forever partner, and he cut her up. And from all accounts, a, a an amazing woman, you know, a right. professional, uh, very well respected, you know, in her work. And um, Brian Walsh was not the slickest of criminals you would ever meet. Number one, and we've discussed this before, anytime a wife ends up missing or dead, the yeah. first person they're going to look at is the husband, whether he did it or right. not. It's a process of elimination, right. Woody, I'm sure, that's, that's for right. detectives. Yep. And prisons are full of dummies. Yeah. <laughs> and they have nice one guy. on the way. Yeah. Right. This guy would uh, would be near the top of the list. So so Beeland presented uh, an array of evidence along three general lines. Okay. One, discoveries of uh, Anna Walsh's blood and personal items in local garbage. Two, the GPS phone tracking data showing Brian Walsh's movements during this period of time. And three, uh, Google search data related to dismembering of bodies and disposing yeah. of bodies. Clear your search history. Well, you'd have to, you have to do more than <laughs> more than that. Destroy but. your computer. Hillary Clinton can tell you how to wipe that. Destroy your computer. Wipe that email. Hey, how fucking stupid do you have to be to research that shit and then do it and then leave your computer in the house? Uh, prisons are full of dummies. Well, Walsh's defense attorney, Tracy Miner, uh, said in a statement uh, after the, uh, the arraignment that um, she wasn't going to comment on the evidence directly, but suggested that the prosecution's case against her client is weak. Miss Miner, your client's going to prison. She said she has not seen, uh, she has not been sent the evidence yet. And quote, in my experience, where as here, the prosecution leaks so-called evidence to the press before they provide it to me. Their case isn't that strong. Miss Minor, I double on down. Your client's going to prison. I can't, I can't wait to get to the Google searches of this <laughs> well, so, story. So here, let's just review Prosper Lynn Beeland's uh, uh, review of the items that are part of her quote weak case. Right. Okay, so so we'll just we'll just go through these uh, pretty quickly. Ten bags of evidence were found at a garbage collection station, and Walsh threw away uh, that Walsh had thrown away at uh, his mother's home in Swampscott. The bags contained a hacksaw, hatchet, towels, rags, gloves, and a heavily stained rug. And the body will be found near a, there. A Tyvek suit, Anna Walsh's COVID nineteen vaccination card. Jesus. Okay. Um, and uh, Real Life Real Crime daily investigators have confirmed that dismemberment is not a known side effect of the vaccines. Yeah, so, right, right. Uh, hey, the other thing is, think about this, y'all. All that shit they found, he touched it. His DNA is going to be on it. And again, I'm tripling down. Defense attorney, your client's going to prison. There was also a nice product purse that she often carried in a necklace found at uh, at that uh, garbage collection site. The state crime lab tested the bloody items in the bags and found DNA from both Anna and Brian Walsh on a pair of slippers and the Tyvek suit. But the DNA on the bag, he can explain away his DNA, you know, his, his wife. Yeah. Explain your DNA on the bag. And I'm quadrupling down your clients going to prison. Well, if that makes you quadruple down, then 
Uh, I would like to ask his defense attorney if this would be something that would be bad for him, and that is the Google searches. You know, they're going to say, oh, well, anybody had access to computers. Somebody else did it. Uh-huh. They're going to say anything, but that he did it until it comes down to the nut cutting and they, he takes a plea bargain for life. Well, I believe it was his son's iPad that they found okay, searches yeah, on. Yeah, so, yeah. It's on the son now. That's unless the son was looking to frame the, uh, uh, the father, uh, I think his Brian's brilliant move was they'll check my stuff, but they're not going to check my son's iPad. So let me use. He should have had his son roll around and all in the COVID vaccine card and all the jury and the person before he threw out. Some of these searches are uh, pretty incredible. How long before a body starts to smell? Mm. What does formaldehyde do? How long does DNA last? Can identification be made on partial remains? Hey, this defense attorney might come up and say he can't even read. (laughs) It gets worse. Dismemberment and the best ways to dispose of a body. Yes. I mean, y'all can't, you cannot make this stuff up. This is legit searches the day of and the day after she went disappearing. Yeah. After she was murdered by her husband. How to clean blood from a wooden floor. What happens when you put body, hey, I bet body you they parts have, in ammonia? I bet you they have wooden floors and not tile where, where you cut her up at. Is it better to put crime scene clothes away or wash them? I can promise you I've never made that Google search. <laughs> I mean, these are insane. Is it better to use Tide or um, uh, is a hacksaw the best tool to dismember? Can you be charged <laughs> with murder without a body? <laughs> I mean, there you go. Um, and let me tell you, that defense attorney can't we- weasel her way out of this. That that op- open and shut right there. The defense attorney's going to do it. You know, they always do. Well, anybody can Their hearts go out to to this lady. Yeah, and nobody we, deserves to be murdered. We're no. making light of this dumbass. We're making yeah, uh, we're making fun of that guy. But I, he he's going to get what he deserves. Well, last episode we highlighted his. Uh, Home Depot $450 shopping spree and the the items he'd bought. But he also went to Home Goods and purchased three rugs. So I can think of no better time to do a little home decorating than when your Uh, wife is missing. uh, One of those rugs is on that wooden floor. Yeah. And the other two probably have a body in them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. A little bit about his history that, uh, uh, that we weren't aware of last time we talked about him is that in 2014, Anna Walsh told police that someone threatened to kill her and her friend, according to an incident report CNN obtained from uh, the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Police. A spokesperson for the department confirmed that Brian Walsh was the person involved in the report. So now we're going back nine years um, to find that this guy was uh, making threats uh, nearly a decade ago, right? Um, unfortunately, at that point in time, Anna chose not to uh, move forward with and you know, file charges. And so he convinced her at that point in time, I guess, that uh, that he was going to change his behavior. And uh, unfortunately for her, it was only a matter of time. Uh, in 2019, 
he was described by relatives and family friends as uh, an angry and dishonest person who had swindled money from his father, Dr. Thomas Walsh. He'd been disinherited by Walsh. Walsh's uh, uh, several of uh, his dad's friends have come out and made statements about Brian being uh, diagnosed as a sociopath and uh, uh, a very angry and physically violent person. So, uh, and then we know again from last time that he was indicted on federal charges in 2018 for selling the fake Andy Warhol uh, artwork, and so and that he had uh, pled guilty to those charges, and he'd actually been on house arrest and uh, and monitored as uh, as he was awaiting uh, his sentencing. And so this is clearly uh, tragic, unbelievable that this guy thought he could get away with any of this. Uh, yeah. Given the, given the history. He's a prime example while we build prisons. Shout out to Astro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. My allergies are throwing my whole morning off. Do I sound different to you? I love that. You sound like, <laughs> it's that time of year, though, bro. I sound different to me. I feel like I'm in a submarine. Yeah, well... Have you tried Astro? It's faster, bro. Oh. Right? Astro is the first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Hey, I use this, and you should too, Jim. Last weekend, I planted my garden, and it's that time of the year, and my allergies really kicked up with it, right? I use Astapro every time my nasal allergies flare up, and I'm always amazed at how fast I'm back in the game, down on those roads, playing my stuff. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to AstaproAllergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O Allergy.com. It's faster, bro. Uses directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. So moving on to some new stories, uh, this one hits very close to home. A uh, 19-year-old LSU student named Maddie Brooks was killed last week, and we didn't know much about it at the time, and uh, a lot more has come out. Other than she was killed they, by a vehicle, right, on Burbank. And then and I'm like, mm, 
Yeah, it's a lot of LSU partying down there. And what's going to come out on this is they were drinking at Tigerland. I had an, the first apartment right behind the three bars there, so I could stumble home every night. Uh, she ends up on Bird Bank, gets hit, and dies from her injuries. But now, as Paul Harvey would say, we're going to tell you the rest of the story. And I want to thank uh, – and look, as, as soon as this story broke yesterday, uh had a text come up from – a listener named Lori Johnson who said, I hope y'all are going to be covering this. Best banker chick ever. Yeah, best banker chick ever. So thank you, Lori. And yes, we're all over it. Uh, they have arrested four people after an investigation into this student's death. Uh, and so we're going to get into all that. There was multiple people arrested. Sources said a 17-year-old was booked into the East Baton Rouge Parish Juvenile Detention Center on Sunday on account of third degree rape, he was uh, assisted and and in a car with an 18 year old man identified as KVM Washington, along with Kaysen Carver, who was also 18. Now, Washington faces charges of third degree rape and Carver was booked as a principal to third degree rape in a fourth suspect, 28 year old Everett Lee. Is I who who was identified as the uncle of Washington was also booked as a principal to third degree rape. Now, what he, what is yeah, a principal to third degree rape? To you. First of all, let's talk about third degree rape. Okay, third degree rape is when you rape somebody, you have sexual intercourse, penetration, no matter how slight, it could be your earlobe, your mouth, your nostril, your anus, your vagina, whatever. The um when the person is incapacitated due to being intoxicated by alcohol or narcotics. And principle two means you were there when it happened, you didn't do shit to stop it, and you didn't report it. That's 1427, Louisiana Vice Statute 1427 is principle two. So principle two, you're just as guilty. Yes, and so when this case initially broke, it was a, – a, this sophomore at LSU was hit by a car. It was tragic. As Woody said, it was uh, something where you looked at it and you you know it happened around the Tigerland area of Baton Rouge, which is made up of many bars. So the assumption was she got drunk, stumbled out in front of a car, and got hit. Uh, incidentally, the vehicle that hit her was a rideshare uh, uh, gentleman. And uh, not at that time suspected to have been under any sort of influence of alcohol or narcotics or anything. It was just a situation where she stumbled in the road and got hit. Uh, This news broke, and it is disturbing to say the least when you have a rape that now has taken place, according to reports. And people have to be held, obviously, accountable to that. Some of the questions that came up before we even go any further into this is how did she get in a car with four guys when she's out drinking at a club? Her blood alcohol level was 0.319% at the time. And I want to talk about that. Not only is that uh, almost four times the legal limit, okay? the When I was in law enforcement, if you stop someone for DWI and brought them in, they blew on the machine. If they hit a point three zero, you had to immediately call an ambulance. All right. Point three one nine is stupid. Now I'll tell you another little quick story. Back in my day, 
when I was in uniform patrol. The, uh, it was my night off, and I said, you know what? I really want to test the, the machine, right? I'm going to see how much I can drink and how short of a time and what I'll blow. And, and I was like 250, 260 at the time. I drank a case of beer in an hour and a half, shotgunning them. I mean, almost to the point I, I pretty much was blacked out, and I blew a point one four. So this little wow. bitty girl blowing a point three one nine, the I can guarantee that's alcohol poison basically, and and so that's what goes back to the third degree rape. Um, you have to know that this this young lady is passed out or. Uh, they said she gave several different addresses, et cetera, like that. But that's what they're saying. But I'd be very surprised that she was even coherent when they raped her and they put her out of the car and she gets hit by Uber. And he, and here's my yes, I agree. And here's one of probably the biggest problem I have with this whole thing, and that is Washington, who surrendered to the police, actually contacted the media. WBRZ's Chris Nakamoto right before he surrendered and gave him a statement. And in that statement, he said he had sex with Brooks before she died and that it was consensual. That makes me want to slap him because uh, if you have a point three one nine alcohol percentage, there's nothing consensual there. And, Wake and, up. And certainly he didn't have uh, an intoxilizer machine to register her. Register her a point three one nine, but a point three one nine. Remember, y'all, I was twice as more than twice this girl's size, and mine was a point one four after a case of beer. Okay. Certainly, he knew she uh, was drunk. Uh, absolutely, and there, right there, you can't consent. Well, I mean, and, and she was in the sorority and everything else. I'm sure. She, I'm. I have no direct knowledge, but I'm sure when you're out at the bars, like when used to be back back in the day, and I was in a frat. The, you're out there with your people, right? At some point, she gets separated out. Maybe they're in there, and they notice this uh, young, attractive female, and they cut her out of the herd. I don't know. But she ended up in the backseat of a car, and you can't have consensual rape when somebody's not even awake. That's right. And Washington also— like Consensual sex. And Washington also did go on to tell Nakamoto that the other suspects and Brooks— left Reggie's, which is a bar at Tigerland, after a night of drinking. He said he and another teen had sex with Brooks in the back of a vehicle. That's That uh, that that really pisses me off because they're saying that mm, Brooks is basically a hoe and had sex with two people consensually in the back seat of a car. Carver and Lee, who were also in the car, they were in the front seat. And uh, that's why they are, are accessories to rape. Um, the issue also here for me is how the heck did she, you know, I'm sure she was drunk and just kind of wandered off, ended up, ended up with these guys somehow. But a lot of the ladies listening out there right now, when you were in college and you went out and you were drinking and, us as guys, same way, you're in groups. And I would imagine, especially girls, you kind of look out for each other. And when you see one has had a little bit too much, you're going to keep your eye on her. You're going to watch her. Where are you going? Why are you talking to those guys? Come back over here. Um, I'm not saying that didn't happen, and I'm not saying that this girl didn't just wander off on her own, away from her friends, and they and they just lost track of her. 
Um, but it, the ladies that I have talked to about this incident already, that was their first question was, right. where were her friends? And I had a 24 and a 23-year-old. Uh, I have 24 and 23-year-old daughters. Both of them are absolutely beautiful. I know they go out and they party, but I tell them all the time, watch out for each other, right? And, absolutely. And this is, we're not throwing shade on this, uh, this victim, y'all, because she is absolutely a victim. But I'm, I'm throwing this as a daddy to you. Tell your kids, you know, Stay they, when, when they're at that age, you think nothing can happen to you. This is proof, and Miss Young Miss Brooke being raped and then murdered is, is definitely proof. Well, and and it's going to go back to the the you watch what's going to come out on this. The bars are going to get in trouble. They're going to go back and pull video footage. Somebody overserved this young lady. Sure, it's uh, a great point. When, when you go out in a group and and for different reasons, we used to do this as as guys, but if it's a group of 10, 12, 15, however many people. Pick a wing person, a wing man, yeah. a wing woman. And, right. you know, you, you're bonding with each other that you're leaving the place you went to together, regardless of who gets into what flirty behavior with whom you're locked uh, and loaded together and you're not going to separate until you return home. Yeah, we, at the end we, of the we had rally points. Uh, the uh, Like Tigerland, there's three board. Back then it was Fred, Sports, and the Tiger. Yep. And we had a rally point at, at the end of the night. Everybody meets here. If, if, you, if you hook up, then you, you know, let us know you hooked up and you're good to go. A lot of times it's because we ended up in fist fights. But, the, but take care of each other, people. And my heart goes out to this. Young lady's family and all her friends and everybody, her sorority sisters, and it's just absolutely tragedy, tragic, and them raping her. Uh, basically, y'all, the t- street term for that is dead horsing. When someone so incapacitated that you you have sex with them and they can't even refuse it, and the two assholes in the front that watched it, I would be very surprised with the phones nowadays if somebody didn't film it. Well, the NAACP is working uh, with a prominent Baton Rouge attorney representing two of the suspects saying there is a video that supposedly refutes the allegations that Brooks was raped. I I promise y'all I had not read that far. I think that they are, they're saying there's a video. So obviously a guy took his cell phone and that makes it even sicker. One of the guys in the front seat, beautiful. Yeah, video, let me this record young this. Lady but, being right. but you know what? Uh, what sticks in my mind is it's right. It's third degree rape, no matter what, because she had a point three one nine alcohol level. This uh, girl uh, is not uh, making decisions she would make they, sober. They, Did they rape her as if you walked they, in a window and just screwed they somebody? No, not, they can't say. Uh, um, yeah, because yeah, blood alcohol can go up and. Uh, as you know, even though you quit drinking, it'll still rise for a while. But that's her being that hammered it is the, and I think the video is going to show that they were doing it. Maybe she was saying no or mumbling or what, or straight passed out. And they're like, ha ha, get a video of it of your ass going to prison. And then on top of all this, one thing that we do need to mention is that after these rapes took place, uh, Washington also went on to say that Brooks gave him multiple addresses that were different. So they're, they're at this point being the nice guys, they're going right. to bring her home after yeah. they third yeah. degree raped her. 
Uh, so she gave them multiple addresses. They were like, you know, you don't live here. You don't live there. What's going on? So they just basically put her out of the car, put her out of the car on Burbank, which is a major intersection in Baton Rouge. And she gets hit by a driver of, you know, a a ride share driver. I'm just looking at this again. 19 year old. Now, mm-hmm. when I was 18, you could drink. 19-year-old now, in a bars, in the bars, point three whatever. It's tragedy all the way around. Yeah. And one was 17, and two of them were 18. Yeah, and the the, se- side, so the you 17-year-old. Four people in a bar drinking that are underage. I, I bet you money, especially 17-year-old uh, was the one who partook in, in the rape. He's going to get charged as an adult. Hiller Moore is going to hammer his ass. Or DA, who's a good guy. Would he question on the, the, the statute that applies here? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, the third-degree rape comes in at any point the person is above it, the legal? It, it's, it, it doesn't have to be legal drinking uh, amount or whatever. If you're incapacitated, like somebody gave you a roofie or you you know you're too drunk it, it comes into play when you can't defend yourself basically and even if you're saying no but you can't move your your arms or or if you're passed out dead horse any time those parameters are in place third degree right so it's subjective yeah 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 but guess what they got a video in point 319 even if she looks like she was functioning properly the law states in Louisiana, that it is a point. What is it? Point one point zero eight now. Point zero eight is considered legally drunk. So the the law states that if you're point zero eight, you're not make, able to make correct decisions. Your motor skills are right. slowed. All of those sorts of things. Point three one nine is clearly drunk. Your your decision making is altered. Louisiana was the last state in the union to change from point. One zero to point zero eight, and because they were making at my time, Louisiana was making more money off of alcohol sales taxes to people under between the ages of eighteen and twenty one than they were losing from the federal government cutting their highway funds and stuff because they didn't do it. But ultimately, they gave in and did it. But it doesn't matter. The um, she's. You know, even though they can get into barrooms now, they're supposed to have the stamps or whatever where they can't drink. Well, we know everybody can get around that. But how do you get around it that much? Well, but you can— Remember, I drank a case of beer, 0.14, and I was more than twice our size. You can kind of see what's coming here, though. If—I mean, this is subjective, and you have uh, attorneys working with the accused— that say there is a video that refutes the allegations that she was raped. So, so that's what we're looking at here as we go forward is the presentation of video evidence that will supposedly support the position that, uh, that she was aware of what was going on and uh, uh, otherwise that video wouldn't exist, right? If, I mean, they were taking video and the video clearly showed that she was incapacitated and and everything else then that that video gets that, that deleted could, and and destroyed and everything else so I, I i think we're we're going to see at least an attempt to present that uh 
that she was aware of what was going on. What that video is going to show is that she was not fighting them. And maybe, look, maybe she wanted the sex. The thing that everybody's missing is you can't consent to the sex if you're drunk and it not be considered rape to that capacity. It's one thing if you have a margarita and your your blood alcohol level is point oh eight and it's right, right at the drunk limit and you have sex with someone and then you decide that was a bad idea and right. you would have a legitimate argument there. Point three one nine, there is no one walking God's green earth that can drink and have a blood alcohol level of point three one nine and not look and act like they are totally shit faced. Yep. And even, even if the video and I'm just speculating, y'all, is the video, you know, in whatever way shows, shows um, there was some enjoyment there or whatever, it doesn't mean you're not so fucked up that you can't give consent. That's why they had a law. That's right. why a third-degree rape is. So right. They, uh, these attorneys coming in and whatever, mm, yeah, we'll see. They, I can promise you we'll have more updates on this story. For sure. Moving on in a weekend that brought us all kinds of uh, crazy stories and uh, and murders, we have uh, coming out of East Los Angeles the mass murder of now eleven people That's in crazy. Monterey Park, California, and uh, you know authorities are still trying to determine for sure the motive of a gunman who killed, like I said, now eleven and injured nine others at a dance studio in Monterey Park. The suspect, who's a 72-year-old man named Hu Can Tran, was found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound in a van in Torrance, California, uh, on Sunday. Hell of jail. He's going where he belongs. Which was the end of, uh, of a manhunt that, uh, that started in Monterey Park and took them to Alhambra, uh, which is about 17 minutes uh, away. And uh, apparently this guy was looking to light up another dance studio, this one in Alhambra, and was stopped by some people who spotted him with the weapon and were able to wrestle it out of his hand and uh, uh, and get him out of that uh, that dance studio or we'd be collecting uh, more bodies in uh, in this case. It's just crazy, absolutely crazy. Who knows what's in someone's mind? At least this guy took his own life. Uh, um, hell or jail. Hearts uh, go out to the families. I mean, shit is just everywhere, and it's nonstop. In Baton Rouge this weekend, one nightclub, twelve people got shot. You know, they, they could just as be twelve dead as it was eleven dead there. I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. Hopefully, in the days to come, we'll find yeah, out yeah. more about the motives of uh, Hu Cantran and uh, uh, and exactly what went on here. You know, I did find interesting with this situation in that the state that this came out of was California, which has one of the toughest gun laws, if not the toughest gun laws in the country. And so, I mean, to me, it's it's just proof that uh, the responsibility lies in the people and and. And uh, China has some of the toughest gun laws in the world. Uh, Great Britain, same way. Mass stabbings. I mean, if someone wants to kill, they want to kill. uh, They're going to do it, period. Well, the thing that really kind of drove me crazy as I was watching the early reports on this story 
you uh, before they knew who the gunman was, you just got a feeling like the media was prepping and stoking for this to be a race-related incident, almost cheering for it to be a racially motivated, you know, quote-unquote, hate crime. And I couldn't help but notice that the Babylon Bee, the satire site that uh, that pokes a lot of fun at uh, uh, at both sides of the aisle, but predominantly at liberals, uh, put a fake story out that really got to the, the core of what I just said, which is uh, the Babylon Bee, uh, immediately after the news of the horrible attack broke, said, as of now, it's unclear how bad the attack is or whether anyone should care about it, since authorities have not yet released the skin colors of the perpetrator That's and the victims. That's such bullshit. That's such bullshit. That, I mean, it's crazy. That, you know, it's crazy that um, 11 people were murdered in, the, besides the fake news story, 11 people were murdered, and this shit doesn't get more national attention than Real Life Real Crime Daily, basically, after it happened. That's because we cover it all around here. That's right. Hearts go out to the victims. Fuck the bad guy. Yes. Pretty heavy so far, guys. So I think we should lighten it up a little bit. Love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Bring, lighten Agree? It up, lighten it up. And we'll this story definitely does. <laughs> Tell them about Kilt Him Good wait, or something. Wait, lighten it, up, lighten it up with some espionage news. Uh-oh. This story I just could not believe. So uh, real-life, real-crime daily investigators have learned <laughs> that late in the 1990s, a sting operation led to the mysterious NSA ban of Furbies. You guys remember Furbies? Yes, I do. I bet you Robotic pets. Half of the listeners don't, but yeah. I hated these things. Um, <laughs> well, I can, I, I can safely say I never owned one. I didn't even know they were spies at the time, and I, and I despised them. Um, but I did not know that the NSA had once banned them. You heard that correctly. It's the National Security <laughs> Agency, y'all. It's in, not NASA. In, yeah. in 1998... Furbies hit the store shelves just in time for the holiday shopping season and created a frenzy. And oh, I, mean, I remember that. I mean, a frenzy. It was uh, yeah. it was like the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie uh, Jingle All the Way, where he's yeah. uh, They're fighting uh, for the kid, he's the, fighting the one doll, yeah. whatever that guy's name was. What was the superhero's name? Uh, <sighs> I can't remember. But that that was a great remember. movie. Turbo Man. Turbo should have happened all the time. Whether Turbo it was uh, Cabbage Patch Kids or whatever the hot toy was yeah. for the Christmas fur babies were it. I think that I thought they were stupid then. I think they're stupid now. But this story is even stupider. I think Furby was the inspiration for uh, for Turbo Man and, and that movie. But right. uh, Furby was a first of its kind robotic pet, rumored to be part hamster and part owl. Furby greeted children and sang to them in Furbish, hamster owl, an entirely made up language, or so we were led to believe. Furby could be started by loud noises. He responded to petting. He danced when uh, when he or she was supposedly happy, just like a real animal might. So, but, sounds like my wife. <laughs> but the most innovative and suspicious feature was that Furby could supposedly learn English. So these things supposedly learned how to speak. They learned a language the more you interacted with them. Did they know how to say Takira? 
<laughs> we'll get to that one too. Uh, so this, this this learning ability of the of the Furby uh, is what created this whirlwind of conspiracies uh, that included uh, the idea that Furby was actually an international spy. Yeah, That's wonderful. And this is 1998, y'all. This where all this stuff was technology moved leaps and bounds between about 1992 and 2005. This is before Alexa was listening to. Yeah, yeah. we went. We we took 30 years steps in technology in like four years. Actually, I mean, we went from floppy disk to yeah, you know, complete internet in like three years. It's a, it's a little known fact that. The technology for Furby for actually came off the spaceship that crashed in Area 51. And I'm sorry, <laughs> Roswell, I'm Mexican. Uh, you're, you're right. This this yeah. turned out not to be an early version of AI. Uh, what uh, what turned out was you know Furby uh, contained a technology unknown before its launch, and uh, and that's aliens. what that's what concerned the NSA and why they stepped in and banned the toys from. NSA premises from the Pentagon and from other government installations. Because some spy stole it from Area Fifty One. Mm, <laughs> they they believe they mm-hmm. believed the robots had integrated listening capabilities that would allow them to listen in on sensitive topics and later replay classified conversations. Because so, a, a so lot they of people, bought the AI thing. A lot of people in the Pentagon had their Furbies in their office, right? Or NSA, no security agency. I got a Furby. So the manufacturers of Furby, which was a company, I don't know if they're still around, called Tiger Electronics, refuted the ban, claiming that, quote, Furby was not a spy. Eventually, they revealed that the toys were pre-programmed with about 200 words. I got a Furby. (laughs) So so pre-programmed with 200 words, meaning they didn't actually learn anything that they – they would slowly unveil this vocabulary of 200 words the longer a child interacted with it. So meanwhile, the outlandish Furby fears, including the belief that it could launch a space shuttle, didn't slow its popularity. There were more than 40 million Furbies sold in the first three years. Right. In 1978, I had a Millennium Falcon. I did too. Did I had with, with the, the original with the trap floor. Me I did too. the big yeah, one. Yeah, that, that was, was freaking awesome. Shit. I didn't even have the the men that went in it, but I had it. But, but back uh, then, it wasn't no spy stuff yeah. going on. Furby. I yeah, got, I got it. I think that's just a victim of of I'm going home. Massive tell. step in technology, and people just were freaking. When out. I leave the studio today, I'm going home and tell my wife I got a Furby. That's right. <laughs> so not only do you learn about crime on this show, you learn about how Furbies can. Can we get a Furby and get it to uh, say Takira? <laughs> well, what, what? I don't know if that's one of the two hundred words. Hey, but I mean, it should have been. It should have been, but uh, but I think Don't I'm gonna I'm gonna check later today to see if there are any you available on eBay. I was about and, to say I'm about to buy me one. Yeah, no, I, I think there's got to be some out there still. So let's, oh, let's check on on eBay later. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. 
Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, next subject. Everybody's <laughs> like WTF on the Furby. Yeah. So next subject is a revisit of a story that uh, that broke uh in 2021 and uh, was one of the bigger stories of the year of 2021. And that was the accidental shooting on set of cinematographer, uh, Helena Hutchins. I I, got to interrupt. This is, uh, I I mean, it's horrible. This person died, but the fact that this is one of the biggest stories of the year disturbs people. That's my personal opinion. I know I fucked you it's up. Pretty so. major. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? but that's well, still my opinion. Because hey, they, they played it over and over and over again. Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Any story that involves a Hollywood yeah, yeah, personality I get, I get I get is it. going to blow up to right. 20 times the exposure it should get. But uh, but for those of you who don't remember the case, uh, this is on the set of the uh, film. Uh, Rust, which is a Western. The set was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the uh, the scene that um, was being filmed was one that required a uh, a gun to be in Alec Baldwin's hand. Alec Baldwin was supposedly uh, uh, told, and actually, I don't think this is supposedly. I think this has been uh, verified in a number of different ways that the gun was a quote unquote cold gun. What do you? Uh, yeah, it means uh, uh, it can have blanks in it, but it won't, it won't shoot out a projectile, which can kill someone. Baldwin would later deny that he pulled the trigger um, with the on the cold gun while pointing it in the direction of Hutchins. Uh, something that uh, everyone that has looked at. Uh, uh, at the case, including the FBI, has said is impossible that he absolutely fired. He absolutely pulled the trigger, uh, even though he denied ever pulling the trigger. But and he, and, so. and I, I just want to interrupt right there, real quick, because I want to explain that that's important. He can totally believe that he didn't pull that trigger because when you shoot someone and you kill them, and you're in that much shock, believe me, you shut down. And so, uh, you know, I'm not defending Alec Baldwin here in this situation, but I can tell you from from look, studying the effects on the body after you go into a major shock in his mind, he may actually never remember pulling that trigger. He may think, holy shit, the gun just went off. Your mind goes through a lot of things when you go into shock. And I guarantee you, I don't think Alec Baldwin, I think it's ridiculous for anybody to think Alec Baldwin shot and killed this lady intentionally. No, I don't think he did. So if he pulled the trigger, um, my thing is he may not even remember doing it. Uh He he may have mentally blocked that. I would want to know how many movies Alec Baldwin's been on before where someone hands him a with their term, Countless, cold, cold gun, which means 
you're safe to do whatever you want to. So, I mean, obviously the scene uh, had intent, supposed blanks in or whatever, the scene was going to be a shooting scene. So him saying he didn't pull it, whatever. I mean, the, the cold gun, uh, if you're in the military, like if you hand something off, you're in line, you're in a search, whatever, you hand something dangerous back, the, when the person you're handing to, they say mine. Right, that's code word. Mine means I've got control of this, whatever it is. Them handing it, saying "cold gun," that means you're safe. And an armorer who is hired by all right. films to kind of control all those things. In this case, it was Gutierrez Reed, was the person responsible for checking all of that ahead of time. So I'm with you, Woody. If I'm an actor. And you hand me a gun and you say cold gun, my thought process is you've done everything to investigate and make sure this is safe. And you're the expert. And you're the expert. And I've been handed a gun and told cold gun, in his case, countless right. amount of times in my career. Never have I shot anyone. Right. Um, here's, here's the problem I, with that, though. He's an actor, uh -huh. but he's also the producer of the film. So he has a different responsibility than he would have if he was just acting. I, I don't see. I don't see that as a problem because yeah, yeah, you yeah. hired. You took your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. You, you hired, hired the expert. Hired the, expert. the expert has a job to do. The they didn't do it. Had a fake resume and you didn't do do deals on searching them or something. As a producer, you could be you know, have more responsibility, but it would matter. This if, was a well known if, company. If this person handed it to another producer and they. It wasn't even on the set, and they pulled the trigger, and they said "cold gun." I mean, it, it's that's their term, meaning weapon is safe to do whatever you want to do with it. This was a really inexperienced armor. This was only the second film she had uh, played uh, uh, had, had that responsibility yeah. for. And the film was under a lot of pressure economically to get, what, get, to you, get made officially, uh, get, get what you efficiently. Get what and, you pay for. Well, that's the point. Right. And so if you are the producer of the film, you have a certain responsibility. If you've hired somebody who I, is incompetent in I the can, role. I can assure you the producer of the film is not vetting their armor. Well, they, here's the thing. The company that she worked for was a reputable company that had experience in many, many films over the years. Uh, that's her company's responsibility to make sure she's trained, to make sure she's repaired. It's yeah. not the producer of the film. They're hiring. Right. They're hiring the experts there. This company that she worked for didn't just start up yesterday. They had done much, many, many, many uh, films involving guns. As a matter of fact, they specialized in only guns. Uh, and armors and, and those sorts of people. So they send her out there after only two uh, prior experiences, maybe without a without someone shadowing her or whatever the case may be, I still go back to you. You certainly cannot blame the actor or the producer. In this case, he was both. When they took all the steps they needed to take, they hired a reputable company. The reputable company put someone on the scene that was not capable of if, doing her if job. If you took this out of the criminal realm and just stuck it in the civil realm, when the civil realm is much lighter uh, in finding someone at fault, they're not finding Alec Baldwin at fault. No. Well, I, I, look, I think most. I think in I no think, world did he shoot this girl with any intention. Well, I don't think that's. 
under dispute. I don't think intent is part of what is going on here. So the reason we're talking about this story from 2021 is that it is back in the news because on Thursday, New Mexico First Judicial District Attorney Mary Carmack Altwiz released a press statement saying that her office plans to charge plans plans to charge both Baldwin and set armorer Hannah Gutierrez Reed with two counts of involuntary manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act. That charge includes a firearm enhancement, which makes the crime punishable by a mandatory five years in jail. Let me let me let me say something on that before we go any further. So you're charging Hannah Gutierrez Reed with the same crime as Alec Baldwin in this case, and she was the one responsible for making sure that gun was cold. She was the one who handed it to Alec Baldwin and told him it was cold, but yet his responsibility matches hers. That's not correct. She is not the one who handed it to him and told him it was cold. So let me me give you a little bit more information. Altuiz made the announcement before formally charging the pair, saying the charges would come before the end of the month. Delaying the charges could be a legal strategy, experts say, in an attempt to force a plea deal. Right. But prosecutors have already made one such deal with assistant director David Halls. Halls agreed to the plea deal to one charge of negligent use of a deadly weapon and will receive just six months probation. Hmm. He is the one who handed the gun to uh to Baldwin and told him that it was a cold gun. So the person who handed the gun to Baldwin, telling him it was a gold one, uh, a cold gun, has already pled guilty and will receive um, six months probation. So if I'm if I'm hearing this correctly, Gutierrez must have gave it to the assistant director and said, "Here, it's a cold gun." Then he takes it and he gives it to Alec Baldwin. He said, "Here, it's a cold gun." So I can see that. I can see, and I agree that he should. He he definitely played a huge role in that, as far as negligence is concerned. Uh, although there's an argument there to say that he was told it was a cold gun from Gutierrez Reed, and so to me it seems like almost we've got to hold some people accountable and. Alec Baldwin is at the end of that chain, and at the end of the day, they're wanting to hold him as accountable to the person whose job it was to make that. It's ridiculous to me. It's not his job. It was not his job. Um, and I'm like, I'm no, I'm no huge fan of him politically, but uh, this could have happened to anybody. You could have handed this to Ronald Reagan, and he'd have shot and killed someone. Had it been on some, nobody would have checked that. Before this, what actor is going to say, let me make sure, let me dry fire it somewhere first. They don't do that. That's not how it works in film. They they assume that these people are correct. So that's why I'm so passionate about it. It's also going to change from here until the end of time, the way films are made. Yep. You well, because of procedures. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of productions have been made with guns without anything like this right. happening. Except for Bruce Lee. Okay. 
Well, that was a that was a, that was a blank that was, though. That was that killed a wad that came out of the plane. Yep. I'm sorry. He's the mean. he's the producer. He's in charge of the entire production. He's responsible for all the people on the set. General made, a general in the, the army is responsible for all the troops. It doesn't mean they're always going to make the right decisions, right? It right, doesn't. but but if he can prove that all his due diligence was done, he hired a reputable company. They, you know, uh, he didn't hire a flight. He spent the money, right? If it can be proved that he did everything possible to ensure an incident like that didn't happen, and it happened anyway, how can you hold him you responsible? You got to be able to delegate. You you hiring what you think are the right people. He can't micromanage every fucking bullet that goes into or alleged fake bullet that goes into a gun. Uh, well, at the end of the day, it. it's how did a live round get on that set anyway? Okay. Well, interestingly, interesting. interestingly, Gutierrez Reed filed a lawsuit against prop supplier PDQ Arm and Prop in, in January, saying the company ca- caused Hutchins' death by providing a box to the set that contained live ammo mixed with dummy rounds. Bingo. There's Seth Kenny, the owner of PDQ, denied that the live rounds came from his company in an interview he did with Good Morning America in December of 21. So we have... The, the buck being passed through uh, from Baldwin through the armor to the uh, the arm and, and prop company. And so uh, everybody is trying to pass responsibility down the line. I think mm-hmm. I think what this uh, what this looks like is, uh, you know, an attempt to get Baldwin to accept some responsibility plead guilty to some kind of lesser charge. Um, it's all uh, coming down to a lawsuit. And, and we're likely to see that. And um, hearts go out to the victim because it's a senseless <laughs> tragedy, period. Yeah, I, I just uh, I think that, that the prosecution here is trying to play a card. They may charge him anyway if he doesn't plead. But um, I don't I I don't think they have a case they're going to win. This is my personal opinion. Prosecutors love to say they have not. I wouldn't plead if I was him. I wouldn't plead to that because of the plea bargains. Mm -mm. You got to get 12 people. But us three at this table can't agree on it. Right. Right. That's actually 12 out of 12. It's not going to. Well, and I think we all agree that, you know, the responsibility is is uh, at least starts is in some people's hands. I just. This could have happened to any actor on any given day, and and uh, it could have. Happened. There's too many other hands that should have caught that. Ahead could have happened time. to any actor, but again, when you're the producer, you have some responsibility here, and I think that's where this is. This is. But going. what precedent is, looking, is that set? Hey, you know what, gentlemen? Let's stay tuned and see how it plays out. Yeah. And and what precedent is that setting for producers going forward? Now they're all going to be responsible if something happens on a set. I guarantee you, producer might now are and they have insurance for just those reasons. I forget criminally. I mean, you know, we should look at we should look at the Twilight Zone movie case where uh, William Holden lost his life uh, in the helicopter accident and follow the money trail in that movie where uh, I don't know, but I'm guessing the producers of that film 
paid a pretty heavy price or their insurance company paid a pretty heavy price for what happened on the set. I'm officially out of this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> criminal, criminal, criminally was what I was questioning. It, it, the, the other aspects of that, uh, I get, but criminally, I, I don't know, man. Well, look, if he'd have stuck at the hunt for Red October and never made uh, yeah. Working Girl or oh, some God. other films, yeah. I uh, I vote against. I might uh, I might support him a, a little bit more. And if, and <laughs> if his wife would, great. would stop Tom speaking Clanks. with that fake accent, that would help as well. Y'all, so one thing we're going to be doing every now and again when you listen to these uh, Real Life Real Crime Daily shows is we're going to tell you on this day. And you may be surprised to know that on this day, January 25th of 1934, John Dillinger was captured after escaping using a potato gun. Now, the bank robber John Dillinger, along with Pierpont, Mackley, and Clark, which were some accomplices of his, were captured in Tucson, Arizona. A few weeks later, he'd escaped from the escape-proof Indiana Crown Point Max Security Prison, and according to FBI files, he used a fake gun carved from a potato. That's real, y'all. He claimed it was carved out of wood, and then even more people said, oh, no, he had a real gun. That was probably the crux of officer he bluffed the shit out of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So when you think of January 25th, I want you to think of John Dillinger escaping using a actual gun carved out of a potato. Yeah, for the record, he escaped a shit ton of times. And, uh, evidently, this is the only one that he used a spud gun. Very famous they, gangster. They called that corrections officer spud for right, the rest of his right. career. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. John Dillinger. How about right. different it was back then? Because they these guys were famous because there was no other news. They didn't, you didn't have a six-year-old shooting somebody. <clears throat> you didn't have husbands cutting their wives up and everything else. Well, here's a, uh, here's a sad story out of the, uh, the Daytona beach, Florida, uh, new Smyrna beach, Florida area. Uh, a woman could face first degree murder charges for fatally shooting her terminally ill husband. This happened at a hospital in Daytona beach on Saturday morning. The incident authorities believe was planned together by the couple. Charges are pending against Ellen Galan, 76, who is in custody following a standoff with police in her husband's hospital room. Police responded to the shooting around 11.35 a.m. Galan refused to leave the room at the hospital. Police said she planned to turn the gun on herself but decided she couldn't go through with it. Apparently, because her husband was terminally ill, they had a conversation about it, and they actually planned this approximately three weeks ago, that if he continued to take a turn for the worst, that... He wanted her to end this. Apparently, the goal was for him to do it, but by the time uh, three weeks passed, he didn't have the strength to lift the gun, so she had to carry it out for him. So the authorities negotiated with Galland. Other patients and staff were evacuated. They, uh, it was somewhat of a logistical nightmare because the shooting happened uh, on a floor that had terminally ill patients, people on ventilators, etc., and so they couldn't uh, evacuate the entire floor uh, they focused on the important rooms. The standoff was isolated to her room, and uh, it's not clear at this point how the wife got the gun into the hospital in the first place. Uh, but this is a sad story. 
uh, a terminally ill patient, uh, obviously a, uh, a couple that uh, was deeply in love, had a very long relationship, and uh, uh, a spouse that was in a lot of pain and a couple that made a decision together uh, to end his life if things did not improve. And so, you know, what do we think of Granny here? That's a, you know, and this is actually a really good, uh, hard, hard question to answer. And, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, I've seen people with Alzheimer's and, and that's touched my family personally in a very, very uh, close way. And when you see those things, you think, and, you know, in a discussion with your spouse, you might say, look, if I ever, ever get that way, you know, I don't, I don't want to get that way, uh, you know, and, and I'm just going to drive off a cliff or something like that. You have those conversations. I don't want to be, look, as you age, your biggest fear becomes becoming a burden to your children or to your loved ones and whether your children or friends or whatever. So tough. Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. Uh, other than if you ever find Woody Overton like that, you better call a homicide detective because I'm not partaking in my own suicide by my wife or anybody else. Yeah. I mean, maybe she could have smothered him or gave him some dope or something. I don't know. The gunshot just seems kind of harsh. I hate it. It's sad. I hate that they're in that situation, and I'm sure she probably won't live. Well, here's the, here's the thing. A lot of people don't realize. So you can uh, put a DNR, a do not mm-hmm. resuscitate right. order, in uh, in a will, and uh, uh, and that will instruct uh, doctors not to put you on a ventilator or some other uh, uh, allow you to be in a coma for an extended period of time, and uh, and and that will address a certain kind of situation. A lot of countries around uh, the earth, Canada to our north uh, specifically, uh, euthanasia is legal and it is a very significant percentage of the deaths in Canada for people over the age of 65 is uh, uh, is uh, euthanasia. And so it – Dr. Kevorkian. Yeah. yeah, that's a good example. It at this point in time, when you think a lot uh, about a lot of the laws that have changed in this country over time, when you think about the burdens of uh, continuing healthcare costs in uh, people for people, families in situations like this, that uh, that certainly know that the uh, that the person that is in the coma or uh, uh, or in a vegetated state is uh, you know what their wishes would be, it. Uh, uh, I, I think it's something we're going to see change uh, over time. Yeah, it's it's just really tough, and and I don't know. You know, this is this is a subject. A lot of times where I'll just comment, and I don't know what I would do. I don't know. Um, you know, that's a decision that those people made, and it's it's just a sad, sad story. And I'm uh, very sad. Yeah, it's tough. Way to end it on a. Oh well, we got a little bit more because I was like, Mike, you yeah. just suppressed everybody in yeah prayers the freaking world. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's crying now, but, it, but it's, it's okay, y'all, because now. Well, I I I don't want everybody to be depressed because I I think there's a love story in there. There is, if you, and, if and find the love story. There there is, and that's you know they did they went out together. Um, 
strangely enough, I've I had someone on my street that I live on. the The husband and wife were in the seventies. The husband found out he had Alzheimer's, and when he got to the point he started to lose his mind, he went in a camper and he and he shot himself, killed himself. The wife was actually the one that found him, and um, but his thing was he did not want to be a burden, and he he knew he had become one. They didn't have kids, so the burden falls all on his wife, who was his age, and he didn't think she could handle it. And flip side, flip side of the coin, a judge, I won't say a name, been married over 50-something years, had the dementia and Alzheimer, and part of that is paranoia, and his wife came home from Walmart one day, and he shot and killed her as an intruder because he didn't recognize her. Awful. Yeah. Oh, now I'm really fucking depressed. To wrap things up on this episode, we're going to issue our first set of corrections and retractions, which is a short set of corrections and retractions. We're going to do this from time to time because I always butcher shit. So. Well, in this particular case, I have been Me too. I have been charged as the butcher, and uh, actually, they charged Jim a little bit too, but. <laughs> We're happy to receive your cards and letters. I was going off so Mike's please, pronunciation. Please Thank keep you. those cards and letters coming. Yeah, uh, we, we don't mind. Uh, but this week, I would like to apologize and address my pronunciation, my incorrect pronunciation of the word that describes restaurants that specialize in tacos and other Mexican favorites that I have been referring to as taquerias. When... In fact, they are taquerias. <laughs> Wait, it's so hard on this. Taquerias. <laughs> Taqueria. That's it, right? Taqueria? Yeah. No, I believe it was Taco Vigilante who sent in that, that comment. Hey, you're, probably right. so. you're probably right. <laughs> not, you're not probably happy right. about uh, 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 some complaints about Woody's description of his truck right, as well. Right, right. So. Hey, I'm going to Bear Jackson and get that mom part. Mutt's cuts. Yeah. Mutt cuts. <laughs> I got worms. <laughs> I got worms. <laughs> I think it's about time we wrap it up, fellas. Yeah, we got to wrap it up. But, hey, we love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. The, thank you for listening and liking and sharing. Uh, we're sorry we missed Monday's episode. Shit happened. Uh, but evidently, it's y'all love this because everybody blew us up about the, the one episode we missed. But we will come at you for sure on next Monday as well as this Friday. Until next time, thank you for listening to Real Life Real Crime Daily. I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. And we'll see you on Friday. Peace. Shabusiness. Shabusiness. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.